rolling. Extra, extra. This just in. Welcome, Welcome to Uncover Girl. Girl, the podcast that unpacks the most memorable celebrity profiles of all time. We're your hosts, Ivana Ryder and Beatrice Hazelhurst, ready to unravel and review every culture-defining A-list interview with the help of writers, industry experts, and even the talent themselves. Journalism might be dying, but you better believe the celebrity profile lives on. Prepare to rewrite the rules with a little help from Diplo. It's our most contentious profile yet. MIA even leaked this writer's number. Maybe you've already read it, but you heard it here first. Of quite a week yeah quite a week quite a 48 hours quite really. a 48 hours we've everything we've, is fresh everything is so <laughs> fresh and i'm talking with the full knowledge that you don't want to address the subjects that i'm about to dive into and i'm doing it anyway yeah i've actually before the uh the recorders came on i actually begged um beatrice to not have us talk about this but we're Alas. gonna we're gonna go explicit now and we can always cut it out later yeah i'm so persistent but i think the difference is that i find this we'll call it the incident i, I find it i find it very funny and i find it like heart-wrenching literally <laughs> got traumatizing yeah, ivana's <laughs> been in an absolute spiral i've been i've only been able to eat half a piece of toast today that's all you ate that's all that's all i've been able to eat i ate some blueberries as well oh my god i know you it's, went to the gym too no i didn't go oh thank I god couldn't go. oh no my god. no i would have died i would have passed you would away have literally passed, passed away. away yeah okay so to catch you up i mean possibly the most exciting part of this podcast has been the prospect i'm sorry that's so many p's in a row that's so much alliteration <laughs> has been the prospect of a writer that we really respect and admire um whose work we've also covered in previous episodes wanting to connect and and jump on the pod which is what we had happen this week yeah with a very well-respected writer who's had just an absolute stellar career yeah definitely a north star for for the two of us i think so we were in conversations we booked her and then i think she listened maybe she'd only listened part way through but she listened to her entire episode that featured her story and was <laughs> less than impressed not happy disgruntled <laughs> don't like it you don't like disgruntled <sighs> i just feel like the visual is really intense for me with the word disgruntled with the word disgruntled. oh okay rejected <laughs> <laughs> she rejected the pod no i think she felt like we'd missed the point mm-hmm. or we hadn't kind of seen the full scope of what she was trying to deliver within the profile itself and uh she quickly 180'd and basically retracted every every nice thing that she'd said and pulled out altogether, which was a blow. Yeah. But it was really fucking funny to me. Okay, so now is when I'm going to reveal to you what I have in my possession, oh. which was as this was occurring. Wait, my stomach just dropped. No, no, no. Okay. It's... <laughs> It's so personal and private. As as my stomach was dropping, because this was happening while Beatrice was asleep, I was receiving all of this live. Okay, I go to sleep at literally 9.30. I, no, I knew. I knew there was no chance that you were awake. Also, because if you were awake, I knew I would have had 12 calls. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would have absolutely spiraled had I been awake. Yeah. So I'm so glad. No, I, I was awake and I was high. And that's a really terrible combination. Ooh. I woke up at like... 3.30 last night, like an anxious mess. And I was like, I'm going to like try to journal or something that I'm going to like write and try to like work through this. This is the only sentence I was able to get out. And it is just one. <laughs> oh my God, this is bleak. I, I mean, know. can I read it and redact the yeah, name? Yeah, you can redact the name. Oh God, redacted was unhappy and felt we missed the point of the profile. <laughs> End of entry. Which is one line on a Google Doc. Yeah. If this doesn't just show that you 
have the softest underbelly of a baby I have a really snail. soft underbelly. I, I am not a controversial. I think I'm much more controversial. I think you're much more comfortable being controversial. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You can be provocative and you, you sleep peacefully at night. If I say one provocative thing and one person is like, what did you mean by that? I am sleeping not peacefully for 12 nights right in a row. I do a lot of like mental gymnastics to work my way around that anxiety. Yeah. yeah I've been doing that today. Big. In a yeah. big way. I feel like both of us really do so by like doing research and once I know and compartmentalize and sometimes armchair diagnose people I just feel much more comfortable I'm just like of course they're showing you who they are gotta take them at face value but also the difference between the two of us is that I came up as a journalist during like a a very social media-y time where people were just really brutal online because there was no tracing back to who you were and i feel like now people are a lot more evolved they're more measured they Um, also understand that like employers can find if they tweet someone like die bitch oh yeah yeah yeah. i mean that's why how we get all the like problematic tweets and stuff from years past like it was literally people were just wild westing out there with their thoughts on the internet and i was like very gonzo journalism in my like early days in media. I just did like a lot of stories where there were photos of me and I was doing crazy things and and I was a vice journalist and like vice came with a certain like cachet in that sense as well. Like it was intentionally confronting. I mean, I deleted my Twitter, which is really rare for a writer, like when I was 21. I remember one time someone was like, is that a man? No, no. It was such a far cliff to fall from because I earlier that this day took myself out for a full like sushi lunch. We've been so getting exciting. some great feedback yeah. earlier in the day. This is so exciting. You deserve to have anything you want. And so I went to Sugarfish <gasps> and um, I sat down at the like little bar. I was the only one there and I had my like main character moment. I opened my like full size notebook up to write a little to-do list and kind of just, you know, remark about how excited I was about my career only to be just brought down to the ground. I feel like this is a real poignant teaching moment because the disconnect that we felt prompted this entire back and forth with like said writer was that she kind of ignored the the good to get to the critique mm-hmm. and like overlooked the good. Some people, that's just their instincts. Like they can't yeah. even process the good. And I think it's the same for you. I mean, it's just a case of we were getting such amazing feedback. We were on such a high yeah. with such a rush and you can't let this derail it. No. And I actually, I'm feeling better now in the past like 15 minutes. I feel my like system coming down. My vagus nerve is healing. My stomach lining is returning to normal. <laughs> I have like a small appetite now, which I'm excited about because we're going to go to dinner after this. Yeah, it's a celebratory I bread know, pudding. I know. <laughs> yeah. So I know that it's all going to be fine. And this is just like no part of life. I, I know exactly this like feeling absolutely sick though. Yeah, sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sick. And I think also I just have very little experience because I've been such a people pleaser my entire life like in high school I don't think anyone would have had something to go off of because I was literally doing backflips being like hi I remembered that today's your birthday and your favorite food is burritos so I actually went before school to buy you some for your birthday like I I went way too far we we talk about this a lot I can't remember if we've said it on the pod if anyone's familiar with Wicked I am Alphaba and you are Gwendolyn (laughs) like I am the green witch greenie no and, and you are like the beautiful white witch and that I mean that is our dynamic but it's what keeps us alive but we're best friends (laughs) i think you have to laugh at this i think it's fucking so hilarious and this is a a shameless patreon plug because we will get into the nitty-gritty details on the patreon if you want to subscribe yeah we will like actually break this down for you you know everyone everyone's a critic it's that showbiz baby i know you're right you came into this this session this and you were like i don't have anything that's inspiring me because this is absolutely rotted (laughs) Rotted my brain (laughs) 
But the fact that you took yourself out for lunch, like, yeah. that's so nice. Yeah, I agree. That actually, that is my inspiration. Yeah, I think that's a great inspiration to have. Okay, what's yours? Mine is, and I've talked about this on a previous pod, mine is actually my Orlando Bloom interview. What was his energy? Oh, I, I mean, it Labrador. seems like he was Labradoodle. Oh. Golden doodle. So oh. effable. Possibly the most down-to-earth person I've ever interviewed. If you had a poster of him, you were absolutely, In the right. Yeah, you were absolutely justified. I loved him as a child. Um, he was very triggered by the fact that Lord of the Rings would have come out when I was seven years old. But I just loved, I loved everything he said. And I asked what it was like to be in a creative couple with him and Katie. He did say, you know, it's like sometimes it's really, 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 really challenging. Oh my God. <laughs> and I just removed a really because I thought three reallys, Okay. Yeah. Four reallys, too many reallys. Yeah. I, I don't want to cause any trouble in the Orlando Katy Perry household. So I think that that's actually more ethical. Because sometimes people don't need, they don't mean to say four reallys. No. And then you see it in print and you're like, really, 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 really? Yeah. <laughs> it's too many. Oh my God. Yeah. I really, <laughs> I had a lot of respect for the way that he talks about his partnership and I was really impressed because I could never ever be with an actor or a singer or anyone that does anything in entertainment I think I would lose my mind I already really? have enough emotion. what would be the worst match for you do you think of all creative jobs probably director really yeah why I was going to say actor. Yeah, actor. Because I think you would just have no respect for any part of the process. (laughs) I mean, just like the emotion, but also like the sheer intensity that you feel towards a project that is just all consuming and Mm -hmm. there's just no room for anybody else. I think that's what I would struggle with as a partner. What about you? Who would be the worst type of creative? I think I could hand, I think I could be with a creative. I'm with like a semi-creative now, someone that dabbles in all the arts. Yeah. I think an actor, I think I would have a really hard time with like. Yeah. I think it's, it's the, the transient nature of the job as well. The fact that it's very seasonal, it's three months on, six months off. That's a lot of pressure on a relationship, especially if one person's holding down kind of a regular person job the way that we are. I just think it takes a really mentally healthy person to do it in a sustainable way the difference between the tony collettes there's that great interview of her being asked like how do you do it are you prepping for days like what does it look like and she's like that's my job and then i leave the set and then it's not my job so then i'm normal and totally fine i know did you say that about dumbledore did we talk about this no no it was um gandalf Gandalf. speaking of orlando bloom like a full circle moment yeah it's a everyone's like how do you get into character and he's like action Gandalf, 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 cut Ian, Ian, Ian. And it's like, yeah, yeah. See, I could be with Sir Ian McKellen, (laughs) but I could be with no one else. Is he alive? I hope Is he so? <laughs> he doesn't have to be alive. I'm like, hint my DM. No. But speaking of someone who, within the scope of this profile, seemed to traverse a relationship with a fellow creative, ladies and gentlemen, MIA. I know. I know. And that relationship with the fellow creative actually plays a huge role in this profile. Can we spoil it? Honestly, yes, I think we have to, because this is one of the only profiles I think that is so bold as to hit up an ex-boyfriend for quotes. Diplo, baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And his quotes are, oh my God. I go, I need to put this in perspective for you. Imagine someone is telling the story of your life and they reach out to your ex to go on record for their words to be forever immortalized in print just about this like your relationship and who you are as a person with a negative spin yeah, yeah. i would say oh yeah. no, no no it's not i wish them all the best it's like this is why we didn't work this is who she is yeah but we're getting way ahead of ourselves exactly let's let's start with the top the headline mia's agit prop pop if you don't know what agitprop, because we did not actually when we... I've ne- I'd never heard the word. Political propaganda, especially in art or literature. So we're already starting with quite a commentary because... Yeah, she's saying her music is propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Political propaganda, yeah. No one else, I think, would be so bold as Lynn Hirschberg, who is the author of this profile published in the New York Times Magazine. And to give you just some background on Lynn, she has... I mean, an absolutely prolific writer, written for Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, New York Times. And since 2008, she's been at WMAG and she does interviews with celebrities. She has a whole podcast series about it called Five Things with Lynn or something? Five Things with Lynn Hirschberg. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. She's a respected and revered journalist. 
And I just want to start out by saying upfront that I I fear Lynn Hirschberg because she is proven to be really fearless herself in the way that she tells stories. Yeah. She is not worried about reception or whether the public or the star that she's written about and she's written about so many big stars is going to be happy no and i think that that is so admirable i wish i had more of that in my life i know you and i have both had like horror experiences with interviews and one would never be able to tell which of our stories we're literally jerking them off on the page that this is the most profound incredible entertainer of our generation and they screamed at us at a cafe <laughs> But I do feel like, and this came out in 2010, Mm -hmm. this was an era where you could kind of be a little more discerning, uh, a little more forthcoming because the relationships between magazines and PR were still kind of paramount. Like now because there's social media, celebrities just don't need journalists the way they used to, to promote everything in their lives. And And like tell their whole story. Yeah, dude, tell their whole story. And so it was an honor to be profiled by someone like Lynn Hirschberg, but also it was one of the sole means of connecting with your fans. I think that's a really good way to set this in 2010 versus today because this profile made huge waves because it is not a flattering look at MIA. And it's one of the most famous celebrity profiles of all time. Of all time. Yeah, in part because I haven't read something like this that's come out in the past. No, no. Everything is yeah. so flattering and complimentary these yes. days. Like, oh, and it has to be. Yeah, no, she really goes for the jugular. And the profile itself is long. Oh my God, dude. When I assigned this, I had no idea how long it is. It's what, 8,000 I think it's 8,000 words. I believe it's 8,000 words. I'm so words. sorry. No, 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 no. It was a joy. And honestly, I feel like it made me a better writer. Okay, so, so where do we open? We open on MIA's iconic Grammy performance in 2009. This was a very big deal because MIA was nine months pregnant when she got on stage with uh, Jay-Z, Kanye, Lil Wayne and T.I. and this sheer polka dot get up and fully ready to pop pregnant having contractions on the stage and then delivered her son a couple days later and M.I.A. at this point if you don't remember the hugeness of paper planes was the next big thing in hip hop pop music and was just generally beloved very cool girl energy the sort of party I went to where either paper planes or bad girls didn't play yeah me absolutely rolling around the floor to that song bad girl yeah (laughs) me like 11 and a half (laughs) also to back up and give you some context on mia's career she really came from nothing this is not a story of a nepo baby that put on gold chains and then found her way to the charts she grew up in Sri Lanka. She moved to London and was basically living in the projects. Yeah, the projects. Yeah. So she was born in London, right? But she grew up in Sri Lanka and then she moved back. Is that correct? Like parents are Sri Lankan, born in London, moved to Sri Lanka. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Throughout this profile, a really big theme that Lynn keeps coming back to is MIA's activism, specifically around the civil war happening in Sri Lanka, because she spent 10 years in Sri Lanka while the civil war was happening. And on top of that, her father was the leader of the Tamil resistance movement. So it was not that she was removed from it in any way. Like her father was a central figure in this. The Tamil resistance movement was later then replaced by the Tamil Tigers and had much more intense, I would say, and violent tactics when it came to fighting the civil war. Wait, I had no idea that that was the flow on. Yes. He was this major catalyst. Major catalyst. For the rise of the Tamil Tigers. Just specifically, what were their tactics? They murdered people. Okay. They they killed a lot of people, and many of them were killed as well. And her dad did not come back to London with them. He stayed in Sri Lanka, and they basically had very little contact and very little visits because he was such a prominent member. It wasn't safe. And she initially thought she wanted to be a documentary filmmaker or an artist of some kind. She went to art school at Central St. Martin's in London, which is a really prominent art school. Oh, it's so prestigious. Yeah. Yeah. And she was one of the only women of color there. So music really came as a way to express herself more than she was making music all her life. She would turn to Madonna in moments of strife and Madonna would sort of lift her up and help her go to sleep at night. And so music became sort of an extension of this feeling like I have something I need to say and 
I ha- I have to say it to the public. So her first album, R.U.L.R., which is named after her father, came out in 2005. Her second album, Kala, named after her mom, came out in 2007. And then this profile is pegged to her third album, Maya, her name. Kala was like really where she broke out her second album. That's where Paper Planes was, which reached the Billboard Hot 100, sold over 4 million copies. So she has, since the beginning of her career, always really seen her position in the public eye as a platform to speak out about causes. MIA is Tamil, and there was a lot of carnage that the Tamil people endured over the entire course of the Civil War. But in 2009, when this Grammy performance was happening, violence had sort of resurged. MIA is best known, I think, in the public sphere for supporting the Tamil Tigers, which was pretty controversial because there were a lot of Sinhalese people in Sri Lanka that basically associate MIA as someone that is sympathizing with terrorists, essentially. So yeah, we immediately go into her activism from the Grammy stage because she delivers her son. Then one of her first quotes is, you got to embrace the pain, embrace the struggle. Giving birth is nothing when I think about all the people in Sri Lanka that have given birth in concentration camp. As it happened, Maya, who was 34, gave birth in a private room in Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. It's a, it's a pointed moment from Lynn just straight out of the gate. The mm-hmm. fact that she's on the Grammy stage, she's having contractions, she then gives birth, she then says it was nothing compared to the pain of being in a Sri Lankan concentration camp. And then, oh, we're actually in a private room at a fancy LA hospital. And this will keep coming up. Let's call this pattern out now okay. where MIA says something political and sort of intense in nature. And then Lynn immediately follows it up with a juxtaposition of huge proportions. It makes her statements seem ridiculous a lot of the time or just half-baked. She's always reducing MIA's proclamations by outweighing them with something completely frivolous and inherently privileged, which we will come to discover. So we, we've got the Grammys, she's given birth, and then... We get our first food reference here. We get our first food reference here. MIA basically said, we went to the Grammys, we had the baby, we bought the house. A month later, all this stuff was happening in Sri Lanka. It was a Tamil insurgency amid reports of thousands of civilian casualties. And then MIA says, I started speaking up against it. And then within a month, I found that my house was being bugged, my phones were being tapped, and my emails were being hacked into. So this is a really heavy state of affairs but Lynn specifically is working in these colors about where she lives it's Brentwood around the corner from Beverly Hills what she's eating it's french fries and wine like everything seems so beautiful and perfect and she says I don't see how you can shut up and just enjoy success when other people who don't have the fame or luxury to rent security guards are suffering what the hell do they do they just die then Lynn goes on to say Maya's tirade typical in the way it moved from political to the personal and back again, was interrupted by a waiter who offered her a variety of roles. She chose the olive bread. I find this like really, really dark because it's like, look, you're at lunch. She's going to have a roll. I know. She needs a bit of bread. I know. Regardless of... We all need a bit of bread sometimes. It shouldn't be held against us. I know. Yeah. Don't hold that roll to my head. There's a moment in the documentary where someone asks her, like, why didn't why don't you just shut up? Kind of like, (laughs) why don't you just like be a pop star, be a pop sensation and enjoy your amazing life? And she says very frankly that that's like not an option for her and that if she were to try to shut up, she would just turn to drugs and it would be like a horrible fate. It's interesting. It is. It's really not an easy way to be. But I I do know people like this, that it's like even when it's not working for them, it's actually harming their life or whatever it may be. Like they they have to speak up or speak out in some way. There is just this feeling of justice. Like it's like a hero complex or what do you think? I think for her, it's also so personal, which is why it makes sense. I think that she was so hurt by the ways that some of her quotes are characterized here. This has been the constant as much as music has been the constant in her life is this fighting for freedom in Sri Lanka, advocating on behalf of the Tamil Tigers. I think for her to be questioned on that is the most personal one could get. It's one thing to say that her new album is bad or the music video is shitty, which Lynn doesn't say that at all, in fact. It really was the fact that MIA was continually trying to bring it back to 
the cause, the politics, where it seems to me that Lynn started... It just graded on her, which I actually understand. There just came a point where Lynn was like, okay, I actually need to do this research for myself. And Lynn says... In the press, Maya was labeled as a terrorist sympathizer by some. Others charge her with being unsophisticated about the politics of Sri Lanka. I know when my family talks about the civil war in Yugoslavia, it's so much more complicated and something we absolutely could not get into the nuances of on this podcast about celebrity profiles. Uncover girl, can't unpack. (laughs) To say that it's like one side versus the other is reductive. To say that one group was in the right right is also not accurate. So I'll tell you now, straight out of the gate, because this is something that comes up again and again and again in this profile, that we... We'll not be getting into the full details. No, we cannot communicate the full scope. You're you're doing the heavy lifting here. I'm just I know. No, I've ride. done a lot of research, and mostly I'll just let the experts in Sri Lankan affairs speak because they are quoted in this profile, which is again not really something you're used to seeing in a celebrity profile. Right. So Lynn has introduced this character, a guy from the Sri Lankan Democracy Forum, and he kind of explains the role of the tigers and the way that they moved throughout the conflict. Instead, they use your mafia-like tactics and they would forcefully recruit child soldiers. He does stipulate that MIA's father was never with the tigers, but he goes on to really, I mean, he kind of simplifies MIA's role. Yeah. He says, people in exile tend to be more nationalistic. And Maya took a very simplistic explanation of the problems between Sri Lanka's government and the Tamils. It's very unfair when you condemn one side of this conflict. The tigers were killing people and the government was killing people. It was a brutal war. But then he says, and this hurts, MIA had a role putting the tigers on the map. She doesn't seem to know the complexity of what these groups do. And I mean, you've said this to me in the past as well, how you as a child of immigrants feel like a real national pull to the homeland. Oh, yeah. And my parents came here as refugees. They left because my father was drafted. The war was growing more and more brutal. And it just became clear that they had no choice but to leave Yugoslavia. And between me and all of my friends growing up, who were all the kids of refugees, where everyone fled at the same time, this feeling of it being so sacred and being this part of yourself, that if someone were to try to call me out on my lack of understanding or tell me that I I have done something to harm the Macedonian cause, my like sweet, tiny home country, I would be... Oh, you'd be oh my opening God. a Google Doc and writing a sentence. I know, devastated. Devastated. Oh God, I misread oh God. The, I the nature of the yeah. conflict. <laughs> and Macedonia is mad at me. To have this be served to her, MIA got the cover. This is a cover story. Yeah, in New York Times. In the New York Times, ahead of an album, after the Grammy performance. It's like a big moment for MIA. Yeah, it's her moment. She is the moment. Yeah, and she has been very outspoken in this moment about what's going on because of the increase in violence in Sri Lanka. And it's just so brutal. Lynn does go on to acknowledge that she is gorgeous. She says, you know, she's absolutely great looking, quote. You know, she says that she is a style icon. She's an indie darling. She does use all these words, but it feels shallow. doesn't feel like I am in the presence of an absolute generational talent. Yeah. And like we, because we weren't there, we'll never know like who was the one directing the conversation because it's once again... MIA saying, I wasn't trying to be like Bono. He's not from Africa. I'm from there. Speaking of Sri Lanka, I'm tired of pop stars who say, give peace a chance. I'd rather say, give war a chance. Yeah, this was a controversial quote, wasn't it? I mean, this whole profile absolutely blew the lid off MIA's career, but this was the one, this was like the one thing New York Times acquiesced was the fact that Lynn had combined two quotes here, right? Yes, yes, exactly. And then she brings in to like really twist the knife, brings the Sri Lankan expert back to say, when Maya does a polarizing interview, it does not help the cause of justice. Um, And then what follows now, what I'm about to read is the root of all... (laughs) The write-ups after the conflict, it was once called Trufflegate. Then Lynn writes, Unity holds no allure for Maya. She thrives on conflict, real or imagined. I kind of want to be an outsider, she said, eating a truffled-flavored French fry. I don't want to make the same music, sing about the same stuff, talk about the same things. If that makes me a terrorist, then I'm a terrorist. 
Trufflegate became the catch-all for this entire profile. There's a Vulture article from 2010 that says the 10 harshest parts of Lynn Hirschberg's MIA profile <laughs> and truffles are at the top of the list. The girl was just hungry. Yes, and what came out after because MIA had been, I guess, secretly recording this interview while it was happening. So MIA herself released the audio that proved that it had been Lynn Hirschberg that ordered the truffle fries, in fact. And it was just so, it's so deeply petty, but I can imagine why that felt righteous. In the oh moment. yeah. You're like, not this, especially if everyone is calling it truffle gate. Like the takeaway is that not like, my truffle fries. No, they were not my truffle fries. I did eat them. I was not making a statement by ordering them. She's like, what am I going to do? There's a bowl in front of me. You're not going to not have a fry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I think the reason that people fixated on this part so much is because this is definitely the most extreme. It's the most extreme of her quotes. Yes. And the most extreme of the juxtaposition that we talked about at the beginning, where yeah. it's a intense sentiment from MIA followed by just a like ridiculous action that's occurring at this Beverly Hills hotel that they're at doing this interview. So at this point, I mean, the veil has well and truly dropped. There is no disguising the fact that Lynn perhaps hates MIA. Like it's, it's and that's like harshest, maybe just deep, doesn't care for. Doesn't care for. I mean, you wouldn't do it like this. Like you have to really feel passionately, I think, about wanting to call someone out by all this food talk, all the, like just the positioning of the quotes. Like it's pretty, like if we wanted to do it, we absolutely could. And there have been times that Where I you had, wanted yeah, to. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> times that I've done something quite similar with food, in fact. Really? <laughs> Unaware. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like a blueberry pancake, I think I used <gasps> as, a, as a symbol. Oh, you'll have to you'll have to link that in the show notes. <laughs> there's absolutely no hiding that Lynn is, she <laughs> doesn't like this woman. And I mean, what what greater piece of evidence than then calling up her ex-boyfriend, Diplo? What's a Diplo song? What's a Diplo? What is a Diplo? What's a Diplo? Truly a question I would ask in earnest. Tony Lanis. Oh my God. Tony Lanis. Tony Lanis. Tony Lanis. Tony Lanis. For those of you who don't remember, Tori Lanes. Yeah, that was Emma my, thought it was my big flub. Oh my uh, God. Okay, so Diplo. He basically takes some credit for her career he, he takes a like most of the credit for her career yeah which would absolutely infuriate me if an ex attempted to do something like this um, because he was actually the producer for her first album as well as paper planes and then he goes on to say maya is a big pop star now and pop stars sing for me making this record wasn't easy in the past we were a team but Maya wanted to show us how much she didn't need us. In the end, Maya is postmodern. She can't really make music or art that well, but she's better than anyone at putting crazy ideas into motion. Okay, imagine someone being like, um, she can't make music or art very well, but like, I guess she's got like some sort of vision because here she is. He says she knows how to manipulate, how to withhold, how to get what she wants. Which I have to say, in the documentary, there are some hilarious videos of MIA and Diplo truly filming themselves like I used to do when I was nine and a half with my friends on video. What is it called? Oh, iMovie. iMovie. Like I, when you're like just doing yeah, like yeah. singing to MIA's songs, they're no. like, yeah, like finger wagging, like making faces together, just like in two adjoining computer chairs. Just like finger guns to the chin. Yes. Finger guns to the chin. <laughs> finger guns to the air, finger guns all around where I honestly, I actually put the volume down and I had to watch that with no volume. It was, it was wow. tough. Also, was tough. also, can we just like ruminate on that line for a second? She knows how to manipulate. She knows how to withhold. She knows how to get what she wants. That's not professional talk. That's personal. Yeah. That's, that's deeply personal. I had a romantic relationship with this person. And I'm angry. I mean, he does admit later on that he was angry like years after the fact i think i found like an article from 2015 where he says something like i was really jealous and sad i mean quote he says i was really jealous and sad and probably mad when she signed to a major label and yeah she really did make it happen for herself like the grain of truth in what he talks about how she knows how to get what she wants to record her first big single glang she basically just banged on the door of this guy at XL Records and was like, hi, I've heard you've been looking for me. 
And he was like, uh, who? who? What? She came in and showed him a song and he wasn't really into it. And then she was like, I'm going to come tomorrow and I'm going to show you another song and you're going to be obsessed. And it was Galang. And then he was like, yeah, let's record it. Yeah, you can correct me on this anecdote, but there's a point in this profile that's revealed that she's working retail and she gets called out of the blue being offered a record deal. And she just is like, do you need me though? Like... No, I, she says, like, you need me. I don't need you. You need me. And they were like, no, we don't. But we would love to sign you. Meanwhile, they've called this shop. They're like, we've got this number for this woman's wear boutique. Why are you telling us we need you? Which, honestly, I respect it. I feel like she was doing Dude, the thing Kanye of, like... energy. It is. It's also the, like, lucky girl syndrome of, like, everything is always happening for me. I yeah. Like, I make my reality real in a second. She was doing that before everyone was doing that. Yeah, she is the luckiest manifestation of a girl she was just like uh, things happen for me i make yeah, things yeah, yeah. happen for me her aesthetic i think was so intoxicating to so many people in mm-hmm. the sense of the gold chains the smudged eyeliner the fluoro i mean there was a lot of neon happening it was indie sleaze at its absolute peak clothes were a big thing for her in the way that she expressed herself and she always had kind of a messiness i feel yeah, like in a similar hot. it's hot it's it like is. effie stoneham from skin i know and also a little bit of chloe sevigny i feel like yeah, i yeah, was yeah. just I was just seeing someone talk about the Chloe Sevigny magic and how a lot of it is that she just never does her hair. It's never perfect. It's mm. always unkempt, even if the rest of her is super kempt. You can only pull that off if you have thin hair, though. It doesn't work with oh, anyone Oh, yeah. No, else. no, no, no. It's got to be the thin hair. It's got to be the really thin strands yeah, you're right. that just no muss, no fuss, but like lots of muss. That was a big thing. But we got ahead of ourselves because I yeah. do want to go back to Diplo. I mean, he appears multiple times, right? Yeah. yeah. We're finding him in real time. <laughs> That never thought the song was political. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> He's on the phone to, to Lynn Hirschberg. Like he is in her ear and he is just throwing it all out there on the table. Like the dirty laundry is, it's hung on the, on the clothesline. I mean, he talks about Paper Planes, her biggest hit at the time and says, I never thought the song was political. Paper Planes was making fun of what American kids are into, like this thought of being gangster. And then meanwhile, you have MIA being like, this is like a resistance song like this is about like how immigrants the stereotypes around immigrants this is an anthemic call to arms yeah. for immigrants everywhere <laughs> and diplo is being like absolutely not oh it's so painful also you've met diplo okay i haven't met diplo i can't i'm like you dated diplo <laughs> right <laughs> me in a relationship with with the, the plo i know can you imagine the profile that comes out about you oh what my he'll God. say what he'd say no i haven't i i can't even call it meeting diplo i was in a plus one to this like very small birthday party event and he clearly knew the birthday boy and showed up and just jumped on the decks and ivana when i tell you it's possibly the most drunk I've ever been in my life. <laughs> and the previous DJ was playing Britney and Rihanna and Diplo got on and just like, it was a sharp pivot mm. to house music. And I have so much respect for the genre, but I need the words. I need the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And so I took it upon myself to walk up to the DJ booth, say, Yoo-hoo, Diplo. <laughs> Can you please put Rihanna like back on? And he removed his headphones and stepped away from the booth wow i have you pushed him to the edge i did and i didn't wake up feeling particularly good but then if anyone's gonna need to be taken down a peg it might as well be the plo i know it's also so funny that it was rihanna who you asked for who famously said that his his music what is the exact quote actually i do feel we have to have accuracy okay this is actually a claim to fame so i'm gonna you know it yeah so I wrote an article based on a profile ripped from GQ that featured Diplo. It was a Diplo profile. And he recalls Rihanna saying to him, your music sounds like reggae at the airport. I wrote an article about it. (laughs) Rihanna screenshotted the article and posted it on her Instagram. She captioned it like, sorry, Diplo. And it was my aggregated content that she posted so i referenced it when i approached the dj booth i was like i know she said you sound like reggae at the airport but please put miss rihanna on immediately 
Incredible. Um, Honestly, hats off to you. No, I I have regrets. We all have regrets. Diplo does not have regrets. No, on his he's, he's, <laughs> like he's, so he's really fucking... at peace, actually, with a lot of himself. I mean, it's almost violent the way that he seems to just come at her in these quotes. It's so nuts. Yeah. And in that way, it's almost like these really don't compare to anything Lynn has written. Like, Lynn has let the experts speak when it comes to MIA. Can I just do one more Diplo quote? Yeah. He says of meeting her, she met me and we started a relationship. Maya was into the whole terrorism gimmick at the time. It was all underground back then. In the beginning, she was trying to be different. Oh, Like your whole sense of self and identity that hinges on your political alignment yeah yeah and for someone to just be like it's a gimmick but like love love that girl (laughs) yeah it's like art school students are wild right (laughs) but i remember you saying about this mia's quotes themselves reminds you a lot of Uh, some of my college yeah some of my college classes because i famously majored in peace justice and conflict famously yeah i was in a lot of international conflict classes a lot of restorative justice based courses i took a class in a maximum security prison um oh I know it was really intense actually. It was on toxic masculinity. Wow. I know. I know. Relevant. So I just remember people talking about this like freshman year where there everyone is feeling electric and alive with just the potential of college, the college education. And people are just saying the most basic shit in the world as if they're the first to ever say it where we're like why can't countries just get along? Or like we cannot continue to vilify nations when there is killing on both sides. And it's like, yes. And not saying that Maya is a DePaul University freshman, because I do think that she has a real awareness and has lived it and has family that has lived it. And so she has like true experience with what's going on in Sri Lanka. It is just that in this profile, it is not coming through in the way that clearly she wanted it to be. No, and I think it's just because of the battering of it. It almost it forces Lynn's hand in the sense of, okay, let's actually see how much there is to this. It's almost like reporting it out. We can't assume, obviously, but I don't think she went into this with ill intentions. It's just that if someone is going to sit with you for an hour and talk about the politics and their role in the politics and the awareness they're trying to bring, it is just the smart reporter thing to do to look into it and just try to get a better sense of why and where and who else is involved and how can I um, contextualize this in a way that's responsible. For sure. We kind of get a day in the life at a photo shoot. And she's really known for making these very public statements. And it even comes out in her fashion. I mean, I mean, it pervades literally every aspect of her persona. And she talks about how at the Met Gala, her dream was to attend wearing a dress made up of a torn American flag. And that didn't end up happening. No, she she looks gorgeous. She yeah, wore it down. <laughs> Alexander Wang, yeah. Problematic as well. So. I know. And then... It also comes out in the Born Free video. I didn't watch this. I did, and I regret it deeply. Yeah, so it basically, the storyline of the Born Free video, which was then banned from YouTube, is that there is an ethnic cleansing happening, and the army is rounding up gingers and taking them to a field and shooting them wildly yeah. as explosions erupt all around the the one thing i read was that the first person to die was like a, a small red-headed child yeah like a child like a seven-year-old child <laughs> yeah no that. on camera it's not like oh we understand through context clues it's like no we watch him die and mia talks about this a bit of like how can this be shocking it's a bunch of fake blood in a music video But when I share actual videos of executions or public hangings, that's somehow fine. I totally understand that message. But the video is also very violent and very upsetting. And MIA's party line or total manifesto is censorship. She expects to be censored. She's prepared to be censored. She knew Born Free was going to be taken down immediately. She embarks on a censorship tour And I think she is just always prepared to be the most provocative person in the room. But Lynn asked the question, provocative to what outcome? Provocative to whose benefit? What are you contributing ultimately? And I think that's really beautifully summed up in this quote that I think gets to the heart of that. Lynn writes, what Maya wants is nearly impossible to achieve. 
She wants to balance outrageous political statements with a luxe lifestyle to be super successful yet remain controversial for style to merge with substance. She wants to be in America on a visa, but she wants to be perceived as like an American rejecter. She wants to be at the Met, but she wants to wear the torn up American flag there to send a message. She wants to be this sort of avant-garde performer, but then she's also married to this billionaire. And while I don't think it's totally fair for us to roast her for having money and living in Brentwood, I think that those are things that happened to her in the same way with the whole Nepo baby conversation. It's something to acknowledge because the acknowledgement is what makes it feel like you're someone with your feet on the ground. It's when you refuse to acknowledge the privileges or the benefits that you're currently reaping, then it starts to feel like, well, you're leaving out a piece of the story here. I think what annoys writers the most in any interview context or with any talent is always a lack of awareness, a lack of awareness when it comes to their privilege, their position, their platform. They want someone who is going to be like, isn't this crazy? And I think the fact that MIA refuses to do that or she does that through the lens of people are dying. And it's kind of like, yeah, totally. But what are you bringing to the table when it comes to their salvation? I think that's that's what Lynn is really striking at here again. And she's just kind of like, where's the awareness, dude? It makes so much sense that Lynn is writing about MIA in this moment. In 2009, Before this profile, she was the first woman of Southeast Asian descent to be nominated for an Oscar and a Grammy in the same year. Her song in Slumdog Millionaire is what got her the Oscar nom. She was pioneering in so many fields. So it's like, this is a newsworthy person. It makes sense that Lynn would be here and writing about her. It's just what comes of the clash of writer and... MIA. The conclusion really wraps this up nicely. Lynn is, I mean, Lynn has obviously hung out with her for so long at this point. She's clearly like, oh, I am, I'm at my wits end with this girl. Basically they're in London walking together and Maya sees like a tiger costume hanging in the window of a shop. And she's like, look at that tiger. I should wear that to a photo shoot tomorrow. And then she realizes the implications of dressing up as a tiger and says, it's probably too much. It might seem like I was making a joke. And if that doesn't just... And that closes the piece. Yeah. Does MIA truly understand a tiger costume or redheads being shot on screen? Does she understand the implications Oh my gosh, there is a moment that I have chills. <laughs> Please look you at them now. You say it every time I, I know, don't but see that. It's just because my sleeves are are crushing my little arms. Those damn okay. cufflinks. I know. <laughs> we're, we're both sitting here in three-piece suits. I hope you're aware of that. Oh, absolutely. We only record in a suit. There's um, a dress code. Yeah. <laughs> Black tie. <laughs> okay, there is a moment in the documentary that gave me the same sensation at the end of this profile. And the documentary was done by a good friend of her, someone that's known her since her art school days. And they're talking about another controversy that she was embroiled with, with the Super Bowl that she performed with, with Madonna and Nicki Minaj. That's right. And she flipped off the cameras and she got into very big trouble. Like NFL sued her, right? For like 15 million, 16 million dollars. For literally pulling the fingers. Yes. On camera. Yeah, on camera during the Super Bowl. The Fox News pundits like went absolutely crazy with it. It was a very big deal in the moment. That's what everyone was talking about after the Super Bowl. It's like, MIA flipped off the cameras. Mm. And there's a moment in the documentary where we're watching her get calls of people who are angry with her and like manager telling her, like, don't talk to anyone. We're going to get the lawyers involved. And she's like stressed sitting in bed. And someone asks her, like, so what's like the message that you were trying to send? And she says, don't have one. And then he goes like, well, why did you do it? The camera sits on her for such a delicious amount of time while she just kind of like shakes her head and there was no message. There was no nothing to draw. This feeds so beautifully into the aftermath of this profile and all the chaos it stirred up and the fact that the one thing that MIA seems just so aggrieved by is the truffle fries of it all. And in response, like tweets out Lynn Hirschberg's phone number And then what? Like Lynn... Lynn keeps her cool and just says, it's a fairly unethical thing to do, but I don't think it's surprising. She's a provocateur and provocateurs want to be provocative. Ah! Ah! 
us harmonizing in our screams. <laughs> <laughs> like, imagine. I mean, what grace also. If someone tweeted my phone number, I would be, <laughs> I'd be on the ground screaming, crying. Oh my gosh. Freaking out. People call. Someone slid into our DMs and we've literally been yeah, a... Yeah, we've been shaking all day. <laughs> the The provocateur... For the sake of being a provocateur with no greater message or meaning like that, she hits on in one sentence the entire thesis of this profile. No, it really does. It really does. It's like, I mean, this is great work. You've got to admit this. Oh my God. Oh my. Incredible reporting. Incredible writing. There are some moments of true clarity that I feel like it would take me three drafts to get to the point where I can really distill down exactly what I mean in one sentence, in a way that you and I, 10 years later, can yeah. be like, yup, got it. And to have the ex-boyfriend, who at this point is very, very famous, to have the ex-boyfriend weigh in with such candor, like that's a huge achievement as a reporter, to work in the complexities of the Sri Lankan civil war. This is a this is a stacked group of people weighing in on MIA's life and yeah. legacy. From one to Pulitzer, she is, she's up there. Yeah. Oh, she's up there. Yeah. Yeah. We are circling the Pulitzer with this profile. I yeah. mean, it's got to be like a nine. At least. Yeah. Mostly, it just scares me. And I've heard Lynn's podcast and there's a real connection. There's a real relationship with her and a lot of talent. So my kind of takeaway initially reading this was Lynn is like a bit of a hard ass. She's maybe just someone that it's really difficult to impress. But I think on reflection and doing more research on Lynn, I think she just didn't connect. And she is very capable of and connection. good at connecting. Yeah. yeah, totally. And I mean, how could you? I mean, <laughs> I mean, that is the controversial take. I mean, how could you when someone is giving so little of themselves every personal statement is wrapped up in the political and they're really telling you not a whole lot and i think that's what she's so frustrated with she's like just give me anything give me you give me something genuine let me see maya and i just think lynn's too good of a writer for that to work on i know of like i would have worked I'm, on me i what i would have ate it up oh my god i would have written this profile like this is the voice of a movement <laughs> yes it is really important to be critical of your subjects or just like if you let people say whatever the fuck they want. I'm sorry, just the irony of this, <laughs> of where we started this episode with the fact that we were absolutely blasted, roasted, yeah. put on the spit and seared for being critical. And we're like, it is important. To it be is critical. important. It, it, I defend everyone's right to do it. I think it's important. I think it, it needs to happen. And I think that you and I have thick skin inherently. So I think if someone's going to come for us, that's okay. God, this profile is good. Yeah. It's 8,000 words of good. Of good. No, it is. No wonder MIA was devastated. Oh my God. I would crawl under my bed and stay there. But you're not going to do that this time, no. baby. You've written no. your one sentence. And on... we're going to go get bread pudding. We're dessert girls. I hope you know. Yeah. I have a friend who calls herself Mrs. Sweets when she's in a dessert <laughs> mood. She's like, oh, can Mrs. Sweets come? <laughs> and I like that. <laughs> I absolutely love you. I absolutely love you, Argo. Thanks. We so uh, appreciate you coming along for the ride. And we know that this was a lot to wade through. Yeah. And you did a great job. Proud of you. No matter what kind of day you're having, we're proud of you. Oh my God. I hope you're having an incredible day. And even if you're not, there's always tomorrow. Remember that there is always tomorrow. Yes. Yes. This has got to be the cheesiest way we've ever signed off, but we're so grateful for you. Yeah. And if you feel so inclined, subscribe, rate, rate. We have a Patreon. We have a Patreon, which we will be going in yeah. on very yep. shortly. So We've got the content now. Yeah, keep it air to the ground. Bye, Aga. Bye. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.